0: I hope that you've had a great week. Uh, Last Sunday was an amazing service and great worship opportunity. And uh, of course, last Sunday we left and we drove to New Orleans. Got to New Orleans about two a.m. Monday morning. It was a great week to be there. Uh, Got to go and have some great food—some crawfish and uh, some pork chops and some Cajun food. And uh, one of the things, our favorite restaurant, of course, uh, is there. And Name of its murals right on Jackson Square in downtown New Orleans, right near St. Louis Cathedral, and so we ate dinner. And after dinner, it's probably been about ten years since I've been on Bourbon Street, and so uh, we decided to kind of cruise up uh, Bourbon Street, and so go over to Bourbon Street. And as we're walking on Bourbon Street, you know, how many of you have ever been on Bourbon Street? How many of you don't want to admit that you've been on Bourbon Street? <laughs> How many of you are shocked? That I would admit that I've been on Bourbon Street. Well, I'm just real. Uh, so I, I went on Bourbon Street, and, and here's the reality. You know, you have all the, you know, you have all of the uh, epitome of what we think of when we think of uh, Bourbon Street. But on Bourbon Street, uh, particularly, I, I took note of, um, are there were these beggars. Uh, now it's not uh, unusual to see kind of a street of people doing, you know, some will do tap dancing, some will have painted their bodies and they'll stand like, you know, stoic statues or whatnot and you tip them and take pictures and or have a, a little, little band there, Cajun band, so to speak, playing and they'll have a hat that you can put money in. But I noticed, uh, particularly on, uh, on Wednesday evening, that it seemed like there were a lot more people that were just begging on the streets. And I, I saw one sign. Um, And it said, you know, I I need money. I need help. Any help could be given would be great. Um, And the sign down next to it said, the money is not going to be used to buy food. The money is not used to pay my rent. Uh, I want to be able to smoke pot and buy some booze. And I just figured I should let you know this, and that way I'm not trying to be fake. Now, what I can appreciate about that." is the authenticity. I'm glad that you're not trying to pretend that you're hungry or you're going to spend the money that I'm going to give you on hunger. But it, it really is a sad rendering. Maybe some of you have seen, even here in, in Elizabethan and Johnson City area, you get off on one of the exits for the interstate and it's pretty common to see someone uh, begging for food or begging for assistance. And on up the street there was a couple other things that I won't mention from the pulpit that I was able to see people begging or whatnot, but I think at the very least it Clearly reminds me of this passage, where a lot of times, uh, you know, in this passage, you have a blind man who's been blind since birth, and I'm sure that, of course, anybody that had any kind of ailment uh, in that day was considered to be unclean. Um, And it's very easy for those of us uh, who go and we we're able to see these people who are begging or see these people in need. And we want to disassociate our reality from theirs. And we try to think, you know, they're probably in this predicament because of some bad choices that they've made, or they have an addiction because they chose to live in sin, or, you know, and we kind of think these things to ourselves. And as I've often said and repeatedly almost every week, it's so easy to try to distance ourselves from those individuals. Even when we use the words us and them, we've already set up a mentality that they are so radically different than us that we can't relate to them. But the reality is, if you would listen to some of their stories, you would discover that their lives are not really a lot different than ours, except for the fact that the school of hard knocks has hit them a lot more. Uh, and I think what really brought me into this realization is after Katrina, when you had so many people flood into a uh, community and so many people flood into our county or our parish at the time uh, with needs, and you would begin unpacking their story, uh, their stories were like this. I'll never forget uh, that we had a lady who came in who had lost uh, everything, and she, she, was, uh, she looked very... Uh, decrepit, She had torn clothes and all this stuff. And I, I thought, you know, I kind of made a judgment of her when she first came in the, in the, in the office. And uh, as we all do oftentimes, sinfully we do this. And so as she began to un- unfold her story, she goes, you know, I've lived in New Orleans all my life. She gave me the address. And the address that she lived was like 128 Flood Street. That was the actual name of the street in New Orleans. And it flooded during Katrina. Um, and so she lost everything she had. she goes, I've never been able to get myself to the point that I could be self-sufficient. You know, I've, I've always had damage to my house. I inherited the house that my parents lived in. Uh, I've not been able i tried to go to school uh, and, and not been able to go to the school. I, I basically flunked out and, and whatnot and all these stories. But the reality is that some people, just the cards that they get dealt, are not the same as the cards that some of the rest of us get dealt I often say that I had the privilege of, I think, being dealt pretty good cards. Uh, being born in a in a Christian home, so to speak, uh, born in a family that, for all practical purposes, and when I was growing up, I would say probably middle class, maybe upper middle class, depending on how you want to define them. Um, and you know, I never wanted. Uh, you know, if it was, you know, if there's something that I wanted, now I'm still waiting on my 7 Series BMW, that's yet to be given to me. Uh, you know, but even the fact that I could want something like that tells you that, you know, I'm kind of, I was kind of privileged. Um, and, you know, I think that so many of us who grew up in a Christian home with a good environment what uh, whatnot... Things like this, they existed, but they didn't exist in our neighborhood. Things like this exist, but they don't exist in our church. Things like this exist in our city, uh, but we are oblivious to them. And one of the realities, I think, that the gospel so desperately wants to get across to us is that people that are in these predicaments, they're no different than us. Now, when you look in the scriptures here, it's obvious in John chapter 9. He says, "...as he went along," meaning Jesus... He saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked Jesus, basically, uh, Rabbi, who sinned? Uh, was it this man, or was it his parents uh, that he was born blind? Now we think how ridiculous that uh, the, you know, the disciples would say, gosh, this man's blind and it's a result of his sin. I want to remind you that that's kind of a common practice, common understanding then, that if you were born with some kind of ailment, whether blindness or unable to walk, that it was seen as, oh, this must be a result of your sin or of your parents' sin. And it goes back to the Old Testament kind of understanding that children would inherit the sins of their fathers, so to speak. Now, uh, I wish I could say that we have moved beyond that uh, in the 21st century. Um, because Jesus absolutely puts that on its, on its end and says, no, that's not true. But I want you to think about this. How many of us in our community, in our situation, have uh, had things happen in our families or in situations or kind of what we perceive, and the first thing we want to think about those situations that we see is, oh, this must be a result of someone's sin. And a lot of times when you and I are having chaos in our lives or difficulties in our lives, The first thing that oftentimes we'll think, oh, I must have some kind of unconfessed sin. Now, I don't want to get you off the hook entirely because I will say that there are things that you and I do. There are behaviors that you and I can embrace. There are things and decisions and things that we can say that are sin and they can definitely affect us as a people. And I don't want to diminish the fact that sin can affect an individual. But I also want to speak to this issue uh, that many times is a great misunderstanding, and that is this, that not all problems are always a result of our sin. Not every problem that you and I face is a result of sin that we have committed. Not everything that we are facing in life, every hardship, every difficulty, every Physical debilitating condition, not every single one of those is always a result of either sin that we've committed or sins of our parents. Now, uh, and this is very freeing because listen, I know, gosh, at least 30, uh, 30 people in our community that right now are addressing. We'll just say 30 couples in our community that are addressing, that I can name, 30 couples in our community that are addressing issues within their family. And one of the things that they're tossing around amongst themselves, even though they don't want to believe it is, is this a result of something that I've done or is this a result of something that I've said or is this a result of something I haven't done? And I want to free you up. I think God wants to free you up from this. Do not always assume that everything that comes down your journey, every problem that you perceive, do not always assume that it's a result of your sin or your parents' sin or your children's sin. And I think it's very prolific that Jesus speaks to this in John chapter 9. And he says very clearly in verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened, what is he referring to? What is this? What is the antecedent to the pronoun this? This results from the fact that he is blind. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Our problems are not always a result of our sin. Even though that we typically think in those terms, we typically blame ourselves in those terms, we typically guilt ourselves into those sequence of actions. For instance, we typically think that when someone is suffering from a drug problem or some kind of addiction or a child of ours goes off the deep end, so to speak, that it's because of their sin or their parents' sin, Sometimes the difficulties that happen in life, the storms that we are facing are not meant to be stumbling blocks or problems for us. It is meant to be a way that God can display His glory, His power in His time. That's why I think we should be very careful, very careful, about praying away all the difficulties of our lives. Because something I've noticed in my own spiritual journey when there are no problems and we're just coasting in life, we have a tendency to forget about the need for Christ. But when you and I are facing difficulties and problems, when we are absolutely drawing on the daily bread that God is giving us, when you and I are, 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 are focused or we are consumed by an issue or circumstance that is, is main stage or is the main audience or, or the center of our lives, we have a tendency when we don't have control to fix that, To absolutely surrender to God. And the reason for that is because a lot of things that you and I face on a daily basis are not within our power to control not within our will. Listen, we can have a determined will. We can be passionate. We can pursue everything but just in the right order. And that doesn't mean that you and I are going to be problem-free. In fact, if you're a follower of Christ and you're seeking to pursue Him, get ready for a difficult road because the enemy will do anything he can to trump you up. And those difficulties and problems that God allows us to face, those circumstances that God allows us to endure are not meant to define us. They are meant to propel us into a deeper relationship with Him. Namely for the fact that we can't, but yes, God can. Our problems are not always a result of our sin. Why do problems exist? Well, God answers this in verse 3. Our problems happen so that the works of God might be displayed through us. God desires... To use your struggle. God desires to use my struggle for the greater good. God desires to demonstrate His power in our lives. And what what happens to so many of us because we are facing... Uh, things or we're facing problems and difficulties whether it's spiritual blindness or it's a, a decision a relationship decision that we've made or what it could be any a number of things whatever it is that you're concerned about this morning uh, that's one I want to speak to and that's what God wants to speak to and here's the reality no matter what difficulty is lying ahead of you it is never as strong as the Christ who is behind you. Christ has got this. The Lord has this. That's the power that we celebrated last week with the resurrection. That you and I will never be able to face anything that God cannot handle. I want you to say that out loud today. There is nothing I can face that God can't handle. Here's the question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because so many people, listen, even so many of you in this room, you struggle with that identity in Christ. You have an identity crisis going on in your life. You struggle with the fact that God does have the power. He does have the power to overcome whatever is defining you. And here's the thing. You and I were never meant to be defined by our problems. We were meant to be defined by Him. He never had, listen, there is nothing that we ever encounter that our identity should be caught up in except for the living, resurrected Christ. Because when Christ, listen, when Christ was resurrected, everything becomes new. We are a new life in Him. Everything else uh, is behind us. We can surpass any and every obstacle that we face. Do we? believe that. Because in chapter 9, though there is a blind man who ends up in this journey being able to see, even though he testifies to it, the disciples, his closest followers are standing around Jesus. Listen, Jesus' closest followers were saying, huh, so was it this man's sin because he's blind or was it his parents' sin? How often do we that are churched put out our judgment and condemnation on other people's lives. Listen, you and I don't have front seat sitting to everybody else's journey. And you know what? No one else has a front seat sitting to our journey either, except Christ. You don't know what someone else has been through. And if you're here this morning you say, oh, you know, and this is this is kind of goes into the bereavement or whatnot. When you when you go to a funeral parlor and you go to support a family and you go to help them and encourage them, one of the most horrific statements that you can make in that line is to go up to the family and say, I know exactly what you're going through. No, you don't. You don't. You say, well, uh, I've lost lost a loved one. I've lost a mother and a father. That was your mother and father. Uh, You lost your relationship with your mother and father. You didn't have the relationship. You were not front seat to the relationship that that family that you're trying to console had with their deceased loved ones. Every situation, while it is similar, similarity doesn't mean that it's one and the same. It's just, frankly, similar. One of the things that we we need to identify with the fact is that, listen, while there are many commonalities, the relationship that we have, the journey that we have is unique. The relationship with Christ that we have is unique. Therefore, the struggles that I face, though they might be the same as the struggles you face, it's two different journeys. We don't need to write off the fact that someone can have a unique experience in that journey. And we must not be a person that automatically assumes that everybody's journey or difficulties or problems are a result entirely originating from ...from their sin. Our problems happen so that the works of God might be displayed through us. God desires to demonstrate His power in our lives. One of the frequent things that I will hear uh, people say is, you know, I've been praying about, about this aspect of my life and I, I just want God to move and we'll use one of the church words, and we'll just say this, mightily. I want God to move mightily in my life. I want Him to to work, I want Him to do something big in my journey. I want, I want, so, I want a miracle to happen. I want to have a, a burning bush experience. I want, I want waters to part. I want to have one of those types of dramatic experiences with God. And one of the questions that I, you know, because I used to pray the same kind of thing, and one of the things I've realized is if I'm always praying that God moves in a big way, but I'm not surrendering to God the small things. How can I expect God to move big in my journey if I'm not entrusting Him to move in the small areas of my journey? See, every aspect of our journey needs to be surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. He needs to be the Savior of all. He needs to be the Lord over all. If He's not, we're completely missing the point of our faith relationship. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the work of God in our lives was never meant for it to be a 911 help call just when we're in need. It was meant to be a consistent relationship in which we are seeking His will in which we are turning over our lives, every aspect of our lives to Him so that we can conform to His image because we were created in the image of God so that we can conform to His purpose, so that we can conform to His kingdom's work in our lives so that ultimately, in verse 3, that the works of God might be displayed through us. Now, what does that mean? Uh, let me just draw this conclude. or let me just kind of paint this picture for you. I want you to think this morning, I want us to think about our lives being a canvas. Where God is the painter, and we are the paintbrush. Now, I don't care what the paint is, it doesn't matter, but for this il- illustration, I just want want you to imagine this. So many of us want to paint... Our own depiction of life. And so we take over and we decide that we are going to control what's painted, what color is used, and what image goes on that canvas. When all along in the journey, God wants us to be utilized by Him, in other words, He wants us to be a part. There is no canvas, there is no beautiful picture without the use of a brush. God wants to use each and every one of us, but He does not want us to think that we are in control. Not only does He not want us to think that we're in control, He doesn't want us to live as if we're in control. He wants us to be used by Him, He wants us to be able to display the image that he wants to portray on the canvas. So I ask you this morning, as your life journey is being painted on the canvas, who's doing the painting? Are you or is he? Is he the master painter? Is he the master artist of our journey? Or are we doing his job? Because I will say this, that if you and I are in a position of doing His job, then get ready for even a rockier ride. Because that means that we're in control. And when we are in control and He's not in control, that means we are not in His will. And when we are not in His will, it is never a pretty thing. Now, the last thing I want to note this morning is that Our problems that you and I face should never define us because our identity should be caught up in the only one who can bring healing. And that is namely Jesus. I want you to look in in John chapter 9. It says, as he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. So this man did not have an accident in his life that caused his blindness. He has been blind since birth, he has never been able to see. Jesus' disciples, his closest followers, asked him, Teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And then Jesus says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. This happened, so as I've said, the works of God might be displayed through him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. And then he said to the man, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means "scent." So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, it is not just by chance that Jesus tells him to go to Siloam, which means sent. That should give us kind of an insight into the purpose of the healing touch of God. Anytime we are healed, no matter what it might be, no matter how great it might be or how small we want, might want to make it, whether it's great or small, it's still a miracle. Whether, but listen, the purpose of the healing is to send us out. The purpose of an encounter with God is to send us out into a world of needy people and speak into their lives. Not to judge them, not to be condescending to them, not to spout the fact that they're in their predicament because of choices they made or sins that they made, but simply so that we can be a display of the image and of the work of God. So he says, Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam." This word means "sent." So the man went and washed and came home seeing. And his neighbors, this man's neighbors, and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Now, some people claimed he was, and then some people uh, said, no, it only looks like him. Listen, every time God moves in any way, shape, or form, there are going to be some that believe it, and there are going to be some that don't. There are skeptics in every crowd. The problem with Christianity today is... We as followers of Christ allow the skeptics to be a louder voice than the voice of reason and truth. And so one of the difficulties that we have, listen, we don't want we don't want to brag on God because that will make us a holy roller. And we don't want, you know, we don't, we don't want to we don't want to offend people. That is absolutely pathetic. When God moves in your life and you share it, it's going to be offensive. The gospel, listen, the gospel of Christ is not always warm and fuzzy. Because the gospel of Christ, it is the standard by which life and journey should be measured. And so what happens is, is when we look at the gospel of Jesus, when we look at the truth of God, and we look and we peer into our own journey, we realize just how much we are not in sync or we're not aligned with His purposes and His will. And listen, there's nothing warm and fuzzy about that. It is offensive. You and I don't ever need to be concerned about offending someone. We need to be concerned about displaying God's work in our lives. Now, I'm not saying that you go out in our community and uh, send people to hell with your words, you know. Uh, and what do I mean by send people to hell with your words? Well, if, for instance, if we had a church sign that we could put a logo on it, I've seen this before at church, it says, Turn or burn, be sanctified or French fried. That's not exactly the type of slogan that we want embodied at First Baptist Church, okay? That, that, that does nothing. I mean, it makes me want to go to Jay's Corner and get a cup of fries. I mean, that's what it does. It reminds me of food, do I get hungry. Um, but what I am suggesting is, what I am suggesting is, I'm not, don't be overbearing with your faith, but don't not share your faith because you're afraid that you're going to offend somebody. In this uh, kind of in this era of political correctness, which again is pathetic, which I don't participate in, uh, we we become so we're so sensitive. We you know, and and what 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 is the one word that the public screams? Tolerance. We need to be tolerant of different beliefs, and tolerant of this or tolerant of that. What is interesting to me, and it's confounded me for, for, for years, is those individuals who scream tolerance are radically intolerant of the Christian faith. Uh, in other words, you know, be tolerant, but oh, we're going to be tolerant of all these other religions, and all these other faiths, and all these other ideas, and all these other journeys, but when it comes to following Jesus, we're radically intolerant of that. And let me go a step further. The Jesus that I encounter in Scripture, let me tell you what he's tolerant of. Jesus is tolerant of lost people. Jesus welcomes the lost. He hangs out with the lost. He heals the lost. He he, he reaches down in the brokenness of the lost. Who is Jesus intolerant of? Jesus is radically intolerant of religious people. (laughs) Wow. So in other words, the good little Southern Baptist people that are sitting along, judging the little blind man that's sitting by the road, Jesus is very indignant and intolerant of that type of individual and that type of behavior. Why? Because it is callous to the gospel and it doesn't understand the purpose of God. The purpose of God is to redeem all people into the saving knowledge of Christ to heal people of their sickness, whether that sickness is physical or spiritual or whatnot. Ultimately, the goal is spiritual because the physical is temporal. The spiritual is eternal. So our problems that should never define us, our identity should be caught up in the only one who can bring healing. Listen, no question that Jesus There was no question in this passage in John chapter 9 that Jesus healed this man. No question. There's no question that Jesus heals. There's only a question about whether this man was truly blind or not. And so the question that we have is the same question that the audience had in John chapter 9 in the very beginning when he did this. And the question is this, do we believe that Jesus heals today? Now how many of you believe that Jesus heals today? It's amazing. Hands will go up all over the room. Of course, we believe that Jesus can do miracles and that Jesus heals today and the power of the Holy Spirit dawns and, 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 and intersects journeys. But, but let's, let's just take it a little further in. Do we believe He can heal us? See, it's one thing to believe that Jesus can heal people. It's quite a different thing to personalize it and believe and say, now I only believe that Jesus can heal people, but I believe that Jesus can heal me. Do you believe that Jesus can heal you? Do you believe that Jesus can help you become the person maybe that you've not always dreamed but the person that he's always dreamed for you? I know there are probably people in this room this morning that have so been defined by their own choices and decisions. And even in this moment, they're defined by their life situation rather than defined by the God who is over their situation. For most of us in the room, we have no problem in believing that Jesus healed a blind man in John chapter 9. We have no problem that Jesus does miracles all the time and heals people all over the place. But if we got to the point that we understand that He too Just as He can heal everyone else, He can heal us. Not only that He can heal us, but that He desires to heal us today. So in our invitation this morning, as we sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, are you really looking to Him? Are you really seeking Him? Have you turned everything over to Him have you been defined by what other people have said about you or your family or your children? Are you so caught up in the emotional agony of those situations rather than the emotional freedom and spiritual freedom that Christ offers? If so, we celebrated Easter Sunday last week, the power of His resurrection, which has profound personal implications on us today. Where is your journey taking you? Is Christ the Lord over all of your life? Are you surrendering to Him on a daily basis? Are you seeking His will? Are you being defined in this moment by His power? Because His desire is to display Himself through your life. Through the good, through the bad, through the great, through the small, through the sin, through the problems, through everything that you face. Is your life this morning a demonstration of His almighty power working in your journey? If not, may you turn your eyes to Jesus and may you look to Him in every sort of way. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for our time to look into your word, for the healing that you gave in John chapter 9, for the healing that you offer today. Lord, as we respond to you and as we seek you in this invitation as we sing turn your eyes upon jesus may it be a life commitment may it be a personal testimony of our heart of our will and of our purpose lord i pray that we will not be defined uh, the way the world looks at us that we will not be concerned about being tolerant that we will not be concerned about being offensive that we would simply be concerned about pursuing you where we are in our journey, where you are in our journey. Give us the faith of a child that believes in the impossible, that believes that you can do all things. God, may we seek you in the small, may we seek you in the big. Lord, may we seek you in this place today as we respond. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and... You'd like to know more about what it means to having Christ at the center of your life. If you'd like to know more about what it means to have your journey absolutely overwhelmed by the power of God. If you are tired of leading and guiding your own life and you've reached a point where you desperately need some help, then you've come to the right place. This invitation is for you. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've been here at First Baptist. You say, you know what? First Baptist, I believe, is the place that God wants uh, us to bloom. First Baptist Church is the place where we believe that God is planting us. We would love to have you join our family and become an integral part of ministry and opportunity as we seek His will for His glory. And may your journey join ours. God is doing amazing things in the lives of people here as we take notice and we give Him all the credit and all the glory. Because God is only begun in our journeys together. However God is leading, however He's directing, however the Holy Spirit has spoken. May we turn our eyes to Jesus and may we seek Him in this invitation. It's in Christ's name. As we stand and as we sing.